there's something scary hiding in the back of your closet. Your bathing suits and summer clothes thing you're pretty sure don't fit anymore. What if there was a way to get into summer shape in one visit? Here's Dr. Brian Strand for Sonabello to explain. It really is quite remarkable. Sonabello doctors use a technology called microlaser fat removal, and the results are amazing. We customize your procedure to accomplish your goals. Just share with us the problem areas where you'd like the fat in inches removed. And in one visit, they're gone, permanently. I can't tell you how often I hear clients say how many years they've been trying to diet and exercise those inches away. And we did it in one comfortable visit. It's time to get your summer on. Visit any of our Sonabella locations across the U.S. And right now, you can save $250. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. That's sonobello.com slash save. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago, with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Welcome back to the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lipschitz. I'm here with Lance Brozdowski. Lance, say hello to the people. Let them know where they can uh, find you on Twitter. I am at Lance Brozdow. Hello, people. How are you? This is uh, We're recording pretty late, so you know, me and Ralph might be a little spacey. We're, it's, it's bedtime for both of us, but uh, um, we're, we're night owls, so I'm, I'm confident we can get through this in one piece and, and give you guys a good show. I'm actually pretty excited for this list, I have to say. This is a, a condensed list. There's a lot of really good talent towards the top. A couple interesting names in the back end, but I think one through five or six here is, is going to be a lot of fun to chat about, Ralph. And I am stoked, as I always am, to hop on the pod with you, man. How's, how are things? I heard, uh, I don't know if you saw the most recent episode or heard the most recent episode of Ralph in the Wild. Did you, <laughs> did you hear this on the, on the Razzball channel, Ralph in the oh Wild? Oh, my God. Oh, man, for anyone that doesn't know. Uh, so sometimes Ralph shoots me over podcasts to edit for the ones he does with Gray. And uh, <laughs> the most recent one, I guess Ralph's mute bu- button wasn't working. So the entire podcast is just... Ralph like talking to his kids and then the peace de resistance at the end is, is Ralph peeing while Gray talks. It's one of one of the funniest moments I've ever experienced on a podcast. And oh my God. 
some genuine, genuine hilarity here. Ralph, what do you have to say about this? Oh, man. The funniest thing is, like, I thought I managed it really well. So, like, my my youngest was um, homesick. So he was home and usually isn't. And my oldest, too, for the most part, like, once they're home and I'm recording, like, they give me, like, you know, the time that I need. And I just, you know, put on something on TV and, you know, give them a snack or something. And, you know, they're fine. Um, but the youngest, you know, needs a little bit more attention. So I was kind of, the guy's going to pay attention. And I, I kind of told Gray from the beginning, Hey, we're gonna have to pause probably like every 10 minutes just so I can like, you know, go upstairs. <laughs> and so we were doing that for the most part. And it's really smooth with the recording software that I use. I could just pause anything and then just, you know, start it back up. So I was doing that and I was hitting the mute button whenever, uh, Nolan, my youngest son was crying and, oh man. I listened back to the pod and I'm like, wow, like, I guess I must have missed this one. And then I'm like 25 minutes in and I'm like, I didn't miss all of them. And I'm like, oh my God. And then I didn't listen to the rest of it. It was probably like 35 minutes in. I had to go into work and do something, blah, blah, blah. Cause I listened to them just to see how they sound and like whatever might happen. And so I get a message later on on Twitter from one of my followers and they're like, Hey, uh, good pod. The audio was a little rough. And the best part was right at the end when we can hear you peeing. So I snuck over to the side and like, I definitely muted the mic, but and, and like the first thing I, I muted the mic and I pulled out my headphones so I could hear when gray was talking. So if I needed to like run over and be like, yeah, bud, I could, you know? Yeah. So, um, oh my God, you hear it at the end and it is so clear. It is like, it was like, I was next to the mic. It was like, it was like the it, it, honestly it was like a it was like a sound effect. It was so perfect. Oh my but, god. It's just oh unbelievable. Man. It's that one of my favorite things tonight. ever. <laughs> god, it's, I'm gonna, it's, you gotta bookmark that. Anyone that's a fan of Razzle has to bookmark that podcast because oh god, that's gonna go down in history right there. And and yeah. Otani, you know, Otani's gonna go down in history, Ralph. Number one on your list. Ooh, he is a great segue. Oh, that was a great segue. His prime right there. It's it's late, like it. so I segue better. I, that doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to roll with it. <laughs> Otani is a two-way player, if you haven't realized. I'm sure everyone knows. He sits at the top of this list clearly in an upper echelon of prospects, in my opinion. Um, I think I mentioned before, I'm always kind of confused when I see Otani outside of like the top four on top 100 lists, which I've seen a couple times, and I'm not going to mention any sites, but I, I don't understand that at all. This guy is an unbelievable prospect and an absolutely mm-hmm. elite talent. He is he's a 60, 70 grade player overall, like almost yeah. every aspect of his game from the power to the arm to the curveball to the control. Even the control is probably a little wonky. It's just, man, I can't say enough about him. I really, really like him overall as a prospect. He's tw- guy's 23 years old. He's coming over from uh, from the MPB, and it's just I'm I'm so excited. To, I think he might be the one player that I'm most excited to see this year, Ralph. Um what are your thoughts kind of on Otani in general? I cut out the intro we were going to do. I'm just, I'm just, I'm all for it. I just want to talk Otani. Give me your yeah, thoughts. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, and uh, I think, you you know, the, you know, Lance, by the way, you're, you're on the clock when we started the podcast. Did you ever make your pick in the real life? Uh, the uh, no, real fake no. Dynasty I can League? do that. You, you give me like two minutes here. I can make something. Don't worry. I can all right. I, I, they told me, to, they told me to put pressure. So yeah, I just want to make sure that I'm a man of my word and uh, they hear it in the podcast. So they have confirmation that I did put pressure on yes, Lance. Not correct, much, correct. but some, but uh, in, in the real uh, fake pod baseball podcast dynasty, I hope I'm saying that right. Um, with uh, Paul Martin and uh, Walter, uh, 
McMichael? McMichael? Is it McMichael? Well, I think it's I'm bad. It's, I was going to say McDaniel, and I think it is McMichael. <laughs> so Walter McMichael. I just know him as, as Walter and Paul, right? So with <laughs> Walter and Paul, uh, they put together a dynasty league. It's, what, 20 teams. It's, uh, what, 50-man rosters, right? It's big. It's deep. And there's yeah, a lot pretty, of prospects going very early. Yeah, it's, it is 50-man rosters because I knew I, I had to put together a top 1,000 uh, for myself and my queue yeah. before, I, before I went in. I dug in that for a few, few weeks. So. I uh, pick 55s there on the, on the clock. I get a couple of picks in already. Um, Otani staring, the, staring me in the face. J.D. Martinez was there, and I was kind of interested in, like, you know, it was like fourth, third, fourth round. I thought it was good value on Martinez. He went to pick before me, and uh, I'm sitting there, and I'm looking. And I think it was overnight, so I, I was on the clock overnight. You know, I went to bed and, and woke up. I'm on the clock, which is always great in these slow drafts. So I'm sitting there on the toilet. I'm like, what should I do? <laughs> and uh, I thought about it, and I remembered that, the scoring in this league, the way that you do um, our, our lineups aren't weekly, they're semi-weekly. So, yeah. um, you know, and he's going to be in a six-man rotation that had come out the day before. So I'm thinking to myself as, as I look at this, and it's fan tracks. So I can actually put him into the starting pitching spot. And then when I change my roster back and he's not going to be on the pitching slate, I can then move him in as a potential hitter which is kind of interesting depending upon how much he plays. I guess we'll see, but I figured at worst I got free at bats out of him, and that's kind of interesting, but even more so this guy is an elite starting pitcher and he's ready made. And we've seen a track record of success with these Japanese arms coming over here and being successful dating back into the nineties. I mean, dating back to someone like Hideo Nomo. And I don't know everyone didn't necessarily set the world on fire, but I think Otani is different. I think that his stuff is better. He's got more velocity than a lot of those guys have. Um, you know, I think this is you Darvish comparable in terms of you know his ability to miss bats and sort of be a you know a true ace. I don't think Tanaka necessarily hit that, but I think Darvish did. I don't know if you'd agree with that or not. Um, Tanaka sort of lurks around that territory he has, but I think some of the injuries and stuff and there's been some concerns. Now that said. There's concerns with Otani as well. It seems like all these Japanese pitchers have some sort of an elbow problem at one point or another. But that being said, he's in camp. He's throwing. Um, it sounds like it's all systems go. I, you know, I know the surgery was in October, the procedure that he had done, but he rested most of the year, so there aren't many innings on that arm. You know, some people would say, hey, on one side, that may mean that he's not going to pitch a lot of innings. On the other side, he has pitched you know, 150, 160, um, or maybe 140, 150 before that. And, you know, I could see him getting to 130, 140. We'll see what happens. Six-man rotation will stretch him out a little bit. They get the 10-day DL. They can play around with that. We, we know based on what the Dodgers did last year. There's a lot of interesting things that can happen with Otani. So there's a lot of question marks. But I, but I also think there's a lot to hang your hat on if you do own him in a, in a fantasy league, in a dynasty league of any sort, of, any sort, any sort of scoring. Um, because... He could be dynamic, not only as a pitcher, but also offer some value as a hitter, not be a complete, you know, like there's actually something there. You know, if they compare him to an early career Curtis Granderson, early career Curtis Granderson was a really fun fantasy player to own. So this guy can run and he can hit for power. Even if he only gets 200 at bats and you can get some of that, I don't know. I, I'm Now that I own him somewhere and it's on <laughs> fan tracks, like I said, and I can use him, I'm pretty jacked up, uh, you know. I think in some of my redraft leagues, I am definitely more conservative. In a dynasty league, I'm willing to take the plunge because he's 23 and he's going to be here for a long time. Um, 
I know that uh, I've heard some folks say that they think he'll get some at bats early in the season, and that you know as the year sort of progresses, you know they may you know especially if they're in a playoff push, they may really sort of say, hey, we're going to have you focus on being a, a pitcher here and see what happens. Now, I don't know if he's okay with that. I'm sure the team has a plan. I'm sure they addressed this in conversations. He had a pretty exhaustive uh, process, you know, in terms of pre-signing. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I could talk about Otani for days. I mean, oh, I yeah. wrote you about do a podcast words about him. Some of it was urban legend, I think, because of some <laughs> of the stuff. Well, that's the thing. That's the element with Japanese pitchers. And I experienced it firsthand as, you know, I was right out of college and, uh, you know, I was going to a lot of Red Sox games. I worked and lived in Boston. And Dice K. Matsuzaka oh, yeah. signed. I can still remember the day he signed. I was I at remember. a Bruins game. I was at a Bruins game. And he was Otani. I'll say that. In terms of the hype, sure. he was Otani. He had this gyro ball. There was all this mystery around him. Uh, you know, young superstar coming out of Japan. He was like, you know, this is their Michael Jordan of baseball kind of a thing. You know, like they hyped him up like that, all that sort of hyperbole. And I can still remember it was at a Bruins game with my wife and some friends. And uh, they flew him in, like from where he, like they met in California or whatever. And they, they got him on a, a plane to Boston. That was where he was introduced, was at the Bruins game. Everyone went bananas. And, uh, he had a pretty good year. I think people forget that. I think people forget that his first two years, he was legit. Like, I think his first start, he struck out nine or ten, maybe even more uh, Royals. It was like a start at Kansas City early in the season. And and he looked pretty dynamic. I mean, he didn't throw anything straight, and his stuff was nasty. He sort of lost it. He nibbled too much. And I think, you know, once uh, hitters got a book on him, it was a little different. I don't think you're going to have that with Otani. So even when people try to knock Dice K, he still had like a seven or eight year major league career and, and had a couple of decent seasons. One in which I think he finished in the top 10 of uh, Cy Young voting. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go off the books here. I think that often when we see larger trends happening in baseball, we really don't realize them in the moment. And I, this is something I've been thinking about for a while, but I think Shohei Otani is the beginning of a two-way player trend. I think you're going to see a lot more of them, and I think you're going to see them at the higher levels, and they're going to be successful. And I'm willing to go out on a limb, probably a little bit away from the pack, just because I think that it's fun to kind of buck the trend here and say that I think for the majority of Shohei Otani's career, he will be a two-way player. He will be a true two-way player. And this comes back to one thing that I actually communicated with an individual named Will Carroll about really, really good follow on Twitter. He's known as the injury expert. When I was down in Orlando for the winter meetings, I was talking to him. And one of the main things we talked about was two-way players and how they adjust. And he thinks that absolutely there is a way for a pitcher to be also a hitter. There is a mold for Otani to go in that he can play the field. And he says field. Like, we were talking, like, up the middle, like shortstop center. There is a way for this to happen at the major league level. It's just that we don't know what it is yet. And we kind of speculated back and forth that it might relate back to, you know, a guy really pitching five innings. And the thing is, you have to then convince the player that it's okay to only go five. It's okay to only go four and give them, like, go through an order two times. Don't worry about that third time through the order fall off that most guys run into. And then really work on the arm care, give them a day or two off right after that start, and then play them, you know, modestly in the couple games leading up to the next start. And it's just, it's a matter of we just don't know what to do. 
And I really think, I'm honestly like just convinced myself of this as, as the last couple of weeks have gone on, that Otani will be a two-way player, and he will be a two-way player for the majority of his career. And I'm talking this year, I'm talking next year, I'm talking the year after. I just, I feel like the only takes we've heard have been have been that he's just, the Angels are going to give up and he's going to go to a hitter. And I yeah. just, like, what they're projecting him for right now is a hitter and a pitcher is a four-war player. It's right around that. I think it's 3-8, whatever, 3-7, however you want to add it up, depending on what yeah. you look at, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, I think it's around, like, five point five to 7 from the hitting side and 3-ish from the pitching side. And I just don't see how you toss away that 5.5 war. Like, that is, that's solid. Like, I know it's .5, but it's, mm. it's coming out of nowhere. Like, you have a pitcher who can also be a hitter, and it's just... I think that the Angels have a really good idea what to do with him, and I'm very bullish on him, and I think, Ralph, that that was honestly one of the better picks in this real fake draft. Like, I remember we were texting. We were texting back and forth on a lot of our picks, and we've gone back and forth, and we've actually kind of synced up. Like, you'd be who you're, you'd ask me who I was looking at. I'd shoot you four names, and you're like, I had three of those in my queue, and I'm like, I don't know. Like, we just were looking at the same value, and I think we were both talking Otani, and then you picked him. And when I look back now with that semi-weekly lock system – I think you can make an argument he's like a third rounder, like legitimately yeah, inside I the top 35. The fact that you can play him as a hitter and sync it up so that you know he's starting every sixth day. He's not going to be a two-star guy. Like So his value in points leagues with full weekly lock kind of dropped to me. The fact that you mm. can kind of plug him in and get those couple at-bats, even if it is with a 30% K rate and he's walking around like 12% of the time. This is an OBP league. Like That's going to end up being like a 320-ish OBP. It's... I, I regret not taking him earlier and being bullish on him because I'm, I'm a buyer. I love it overall. I think from uh, the mechanic side, as far as the pitching goes, it's it's beautiful. It's it's what you see in Dice K. It's what you see in uh, Darvish and and um, Tanaka. I forgot his name for a second there. Uh, <laughs> insane, insane hip to shoulder separation. He gets beautiful extension. It's a full body motion, which doesn't worry me too too much about the arm. I know he has the little UCL problem, etc. But mm. I'm a fan of it overall. Um, and from the bat side. I've heard a lot of different comps, and I I always have some trouble giving statistical comps, especially when the aesthetic side of it doesn't want, line up. So yeah. the aesthetic side comp that I want to give that I think is legitimately spot on if you put these guys next to each other, Matt Olson and Shohei Otani. The exact same hands over the plate from the left side and how they hold their back wow. and how they load up. Watch tape on both these guys. No, it's I, I know Olsen's image. swing. Yeah, it is the I know exact Olsen's same swing hitter. From, yeah, and I've wow, heard a lot. I've heard, uh, the, I've heard both the Chris Davises. I've heard uh, the Grandy you mentioned. I, I think that from a stat side, that's pretty good because the, the carrots yeah, can be Yeah, I just mean from like what he can do. Yeah, you know, because he's got wheels. He's got wheels. Yeah, and I Keith, I, Keith Law called him eighty grade, but uh, I, I think it's sixty. I mean, if, <laughs> honestly, he's he, I love him as an athlete. We're gonna get into another guy I love as an athlete, Joe Adele too. But uh, man, I could I could rattle about Otani for forever. I just I really am buying into what he's done from what we've heard from the scouting side, what I've seen from everything he could do as far as athletically. I just you you hope for the health, and I mean we do that with every prospect. So why not kind of give give him the health a pass and and gamble on a twenty three year old who I think could be a top ten player in baseball. Well, and let me and let me bring up one more point that I think sure. kind of gets overlooked a little bit with Otani, and that's the fact that he's coming over having already tasted stardom in a big country. You know, he was a big superstar as you know, and a big performer. You know, on the big stage, he's going to come over here, and he's not going to be sort of dwarfed by the spotlight. I know that people sort of tried to make him sound like he was a you know a very you know sort of not a not a big star, not looking for a lot of attention. You know, they were sort of humble and quiet and all that sort of stuff, but. He knows how to handle it. Maybe he's like that because he understands 
how to you know sort of deal with it. He's been around a clubhouse. He's yeah. been around a professional team. Now, granted, it wasn't the major leagues, but he's going to have the translators, all that sort of stuff. I, I, I think he'll adjust easy, and I think there's an element of that with all these kids when they come up through the minor leagues and then come up to the majors. The difference between some of these minor league organizations versus you know, what they see in the major leagues is night and day, the, the facilities, what's available to them, all that sort of stuff. And Otani's been, you know, been through that. So I'm sure he knows how to take care of his body and everything else. So he's had the injuries, but that's something I haven't really had heard anyone bring up. And I think it's sort of overlooked that this guy is already a professional baseball player. So that's a huge bonus in, in you know, in his favor. And, and you look quickly too, he's going to LA, he's going to Anaheim. He's not going to the big lights of LA. He's, he's, he's going to Anaheim. It's a small, it's a small area. I think honestly, yeah. the most pressure he's going to get is going to be from the Japanese media. That's where he's going to get all the pressure. Like those, be, I mean, you look at the television, how that goes over there live as far as timing goes. It's, I think, mm. probably something that played into it from a marketing aspect of his tools over there as opposed to coming to the East Coast. If he comes over to the East Coast where, you know, you have Boston, you have New York, and you have some of the bigger media markets that dominate what the storylines are, like, I, I, they're going to talk about Otani occasionally when he comes over here for, for series against the Yankees and against Boston, et cetera. That's going to be a story. Sure. But it's not going to be a story throughout the year. I think, honestly, by him, you could tell he's probably relatively humble as a person. He, he just wants to play. He wants to play, and he wants to play two ways. And let him do it. Like, I'm all aboard. Like, I encourage anyone who doubts the fact that a guy can actually be a successful two-way player. And we're talking, like, five days a week two-way player. You have to limit the innings is the biggest thing. We have this conception that a really good pitcher needs to go seven or eight innings. Otani doesn't need to go seven or eight innings. If he's going five innings and he's dominating and he has a big fall-off when he goes third time through the order, only let him go twice through the order and then take him out. You have to get – that's the understanding we have to get used to, I think, to change baseball, to change it fundamentally. And I know a lot of people might not like that, but if that's where the game's going, if that's where the value is for teams, like – you look at like the defensive shifting that the Pirates did. You look at the bullpenning that I think the Royals, to some extent, kind of kickstarted with Holland and Herrera and uh, uh, Wade Davis. Excuse me, I almost forgot his name there. But uh, <laughs> the, the waves of this stuff that happened, it's weird things. And I think one of the weird things could be cutting guys to like four innings as starters and making them two-way guys. And the other guy I'm looking at for this, it's Brendan McKay. Like we have people in the industry with Brendan McKay. I know I'm jumping off the angels lift here, but yeah. there's people who like Brendan McKay more as a hitter than a pitcher and vice versa. Yeah. I can't think of another player this high up on, on prospect lists in the last however many years where you literally have people in the industry going, I want him as a hitter and other people going as I want him as a pitcher. I think there's mm. a blend that can work where he could hit and he could pitch and I'm all in. I love the two way player. I think this is something I'm going to stand on my perch on for a while. It's just, I, I'm all for it. Like, let's change, let's change the game. I think it's going to be unreal. Um, yeah, and we got, yeah, and we got two, we got two good ones that came into the game at the same time. Yeah, it's true. It's Plus, true. I guess a third with Hunter Green, but he's I think they've Seems said to now be leaning he is, pitcher, right? I, I think that they said he is 100 percent pitcher yeah. that he's not going to be uh, playing short at all. I'm fine with that too because he's got he's got some uh, he's got some learning to do as a pitcher. You know, where yeah. McKay is a guy that's you know one of the most set. decorated, yeah, a, you know, a polished college starter, you know probably the most decorated college player of all time. So he's up there. Once sure. again, he sort of has that there, but let's jump into some of these athletes, Oof. man. This top five is believable just in terms of like the tools, it you is. know, like the, the offensive tools in particular. Oh, I love it. I mean, we got, well, I want to combo up because I honestly, I really liked your write up. I thought that this was like one of the better, like all the write-ups you do off on Sundays, you're doing basically top 15 to 20 lists on every team. I enjoyed this Angels one a lot, and I'm not saying this because you included the bro shits conversation that we had <laughs> through text about Jamai Jones and Joe Adele, but this is I think you did a great job in just breaking down the 
the pros and cons of each of the guys and what they can do at the major league level, what they're doing at the minor league level, and what they can evolve to. Um, you have Jemai Jones above Joe Adele, and this was something we kind of talked through, and we have it kind of phrased, I think, back from that text back and forth as a floor argument. Have you changed your mind at all on this? Yes. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was going to say I kind of have to. I don't know why. Like, Let's talk through this. Let's honestly talk through this because – I think they're very different players. The thing I want to say yeah. about Joe Adele, I'll, I'll jump down to three. You have Jemai Jones, two, Joe Adele, three. I want to jump down to Joe Adele quick. The thing that I think is most interesting about Joe Adele, from my perspective, is that when we look two years down the road at Joe Adele, I think he's going to look like a very different player than we perceive him as right now. I think what he, happens to him is he fills into his power more and his frame more, becomes a corner outfielder, and threatens like 25 to 30 home runs. Whereas right now, we kind of view him as like a five-tool you know, all over the place, really raw, really good, et cetera, varying scouting reports that have creeped up when he was prep ball, et cetera. But I really don't think that's what he is as a hitter. And I think he's got legit power. And this was something that I didn't really look at too much in the in the tape. I watched him from a while back. But, you know, the more I dug in, the more I've read about him and what scouts are saying about him, the more I kind of am seeing where that power can, can kind of be utilized. And I feel like I might put Joe Adele above Jemai Jones, but... It's tough. Like that, when we look back to our conversation, though, Ralph. Like, they're like, I think they were. I think they were like thirty-eight and thirty-nine. Yeah, and I had him close on my list. I think Long and, Hayden, yeah. Long and Hayden McDaniel had him really close on theirs. It's just, it's a cool, it's a fun argument because it's floor versus upside. Really, yeah. J- Jones is going to get to the major league level. I think that he's not going to destroy everything, but he's going to be a, a good corner outfielder. I think they could be like a Cole Calhounish kind of player. And I think that's valuable. It's very valuable. A couple, two and a half war a year. I think that's, you could get that out of a, an outfielder like this that they've had. They've had the, him in their system, I think, for a bit, if I remember correctly. Um, no, he was perfect game in 2015. Never mind. But regardless, yeah. they developed him pretty well. They changed up his swing. Uh, they shortened up a little bit. It's a little bit more upper body than a lot of guys you see who get into the lower half more, whereas Adele is got a relatively heavy bat wrap right now that I think they could kind of cut down on a little bit. Um, mm. It lengthens the swing, but... I think that it's plus bat speed, which compensates for the fact that I'm not completely punting his power because if the bat speed's that good, if they kind of smooth out that bat wrap and get it get it to the point where it's not a detriment when he starts seeing 94-plus at double A, I think that it, it's really good. It, it turns into 25 home run power at the major league level, and he's an athlete. He is an athlete. He was, I heard he was throwing like 94-95 in prep ball as, as a pitcher, right? And then he yeah. kind of had an arm problem or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's and another the arm went down. Him, but... but yeah, he's legitimately like five tools, like across the board. Yeah. Yeah. He can run. The thing that I heard about, uh, about, uh, I think it was maybe in, in extended spring was he was hitting some balls. Like the angels guys were saying, I think it was from baseball America, too. but yeah. they were saying that, you know, he was hitting some balls that only Mike Trout and, and, uh, and, you know, CJ Crone could hit. Crone's got he's tons got of power. Raw, raw so. pop. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think it's just, you know, when you think of, uh, of this kid is just removed from a small school Ballard in Kentucky, which is like nothing. It's not like this guy was at IMG Academy or one of these sort of powerhouses. And he came into the Arizona League and, and not only did he improve from his junior year and sort of over the showcase circuit, you know, and over the winter and into the actual season, he cut down significantly on his strikeout rate. Uh, I think he struck out. I, I forget what the number is. It's in my top 100. I think it was something stupid. Like he hit, you know, 24 or 25 home runs. He led the nation in homers in high school this year. And his high school, like strikeout number was like eight. <laughs> it was like, it was like a, a stupid number. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but he's been able to do that. And then he showed the same thing when he went to the Arizona league. And it's just that approach. And the fact that he was able to make that adjustment is a great sign. Um, I think he just really understands hitting. And I think maybe I underestimated that even, you know, a few weeks ago, a month ago. And And a lot of it comes down to is we don't see extended spring. So, I go off of what I've read and I go off of what I see in video and the stuff that I'm seeing in video is honestly, maybe some stuff from like Orem or the, you know, Arizona league or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I might get a little high school tape. So it's really tough to judge what the competition is and, and all that sort of stuff. But this is one of those things you sort of have to take a leap of faith with what you're hearing from scouts and people who see a lot of them. And they seem to think that he is pretty mm-hmm. special. So it's tough. Cause this, this, the top of this draft class in 2017 had some pretty exciting guys. You know, Helio Ramos, who we'll cover uh, in another show. That's really, really exciting. But yeah, I love, I love Joe Adele. Um, I think that I would probably have him a couple spots higher yeah. than Jemai Jones. But once again, Jemai Jones has, you know, a, not as much raw power. I think he's going to grow into more power as he starts to fill out a little bit more. Um, runs pretty well. gets caught a lot, but he still had 27 steals. Puts the bat, really good bat to ball skills. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not a super patient hitter. He's not somebody that's going to have, you know, 400 OBPs, but I think that he'll have a decent OBP and be more of a contact first guy. And I like that approach. thing that I noticed when watching a lot of game tape of him and his at-bats is this is a guy that, you know, when he gets a ball into the gap, he's really able to turn a, you know, a, a deep single to a double easily, you know, a, a double to a triple. He he's a good base runner. You know, once he gets going, I mean, he really does move yeah. super athletic. If I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think he was necessarily a full-time baseball player until like a senior year of high school. I think, I think he comes from a big football family. It oh, was a, another one of these guys like Taylor Trammell that was a big recruit. I don't know if he was as good as Trammell was, I'd have to go back and check that, but I'm pretty sure, you know, Jemai Jones is one of these football player guys, as was Brandon Marsh, who we're going to talk about in probably a minute or two, who Absolutely. was like a division one blue chip wide receiver, receiver prospect. Yeah, yeah. This entire system, like this it's just, top of the system is just loaded since they, since this new regime started to draft, they've really done a good job of trying to build the system back up. Um, it's interesting. They have a lot of interesting players. I would say that this is probably my, my, this might be my favorite top five. And if we look back on this in 10 years and we say, hey, they had more superstars than anybody else in their top five, it wouldn't shock me. I Because I think you have yeah. an easy argument there with Otani and some of these guys like Jones and Adele that do have big ceiling because they do have the ability to hit for contact, hit for power, and they can run. And in our game, that is uh, that is as valuable, I mean, you know, as anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. I agree. And I think, I mean, you look at it like, God forbid they don't re-sign Mike Trout, and you look at this outfield and what could it become, and you can see – you know, Brandon Marsh in center. You could see Joe Adele in left. You could see Jamai Jones in right. And I think that would be a, an above average to very good major league outfield if these guys all hit. And the thing is, too, I feel like you rarely see lists where you could go two through five here. And my 10, you could flip around whatever you want. He's a little bit raw. We could get into him in a sec. But, you know, Adele, Marsh, Jones, if you want to make a case for Marsh 2, I'm fine with it. If you want to make a case for Adele 1, Jones 3, Marsh 2, like you could flip these guys up any way you want. Because they're so raw, because they're so talented, if you buy into one of their approaches and you buy into what their potential skill set can be at the major league level, then I can I grant you the ability to do whatever you want and flip these guys around. And that's that's invaluable. I think that's huge. 
for a system to be able to do that and just perceiving the value of the system and how this could change the Angels organization down the road. They've had problems developing pitching, but you know what? Give me another of late, me, of late, of late, of late. Give me another, give me another minor league system that has three potential plus outfielders in the top five. Like I think it's few and far between. I can't come up with another one where I, I think these it are was the, the it was the Brewers, but yeah, it was uh, Princeton, yeah, Princeton, Harrison, <laughs> Broxton, yeah, they had they had a core of guys there, but uh, Princeton, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I, I'm yeah. Going back to Jones too. The one thing, um, well, I, I like this debate. I like the Jones and uh, and Adele debate a lot, honestly. So, the one thing I did notice with Jemai Jones is that, and it, it perplexed me. Well, I gotta freaking get my words out. <laughs> perplexed me a little bit that he actually had a relatively poor line drive rate across a couple levels. Yeah. And I wanted to pass this back to you because I wasn't too sure. He didn't have home run problems. Like he's got some pop. He's got some speed. And I like it as kind of like a potential, you know, 13 to 14 home run, 22 to 23 stolen base guy at the major league level. I think with an okay-ish to modest average, and that's a matter of also what the Angels do as far as running at the major league level. Mm. But, I mean, I think that's good. I think that's a little bit maybe above the 50 percentile, which you get out of him projecting him out. But I was interested on the line drive side because, you know, as far as Babbitt goes and and getting line drives out there, that's going to produce the hit the most – of, of a fly ball, ground ball, et cetera, whatever. And you think sure. with his speed, he, he doesn't seem like a guy that's going to want to chop the ball and run. Like, it's not Buxton speed. It's, it's good game speed, I think, but it's, yeah. you know, it's gap speed. No. So if I'm yeah. thinking as Jamai Jones, I want more line drives because I want to get those balls into the gap and leg out doubles and have a chance to get a triple on that, et cetera. That's like the profile of hitter I think he could become. And it was interesting to me that he had such a low line drive rate. And I couldn't really tell because – it's not like a really level swing. There is some uppercut to it, and I thought there was some decent natural loft, and I think you see mm. it in the power. But what do you think that like? What do you think about the low line driver? Do you think it's just a small sample, or is it a little more predictive because you kind of see it at a couple levels? Well, the thing that I always wonder with line drive rates versus fly balls in the minor leagues is: is it actually coming off of velocity readings? Is it somebody just logging it and saying? That's a fly ball. That's a line drive. Because there are some hits like that that are uh, sort of that's borderline, you know. And maybe that can be a difference of four or five percent just based on how many somebody scores it. I don't know. I don't know. You know, because it's not coming off of exit velocity. But he looks like he hits the ball hard. Yeah. And I'm sh- I was shocked because, like you said, he has some loft to his swing, but it's not like it's a big uppercut. It looks like a line drive swing, actually. It does. You know? Yeah. Like a guy that's that would have so power, but also would hit, you know, a twenty-two percent plus line drive like a chris taylor or somebody like yeah, that you exactly. know like he, that's actually the kind of player he can be chris taylor is probably what you saw for production from taylor last year is probably what jones is you know what i expect jones to turn out to be um yeah i don't know i'm shocked because i know i remember looking at the number being a little shocked it's like 16 percent, if i'm not mistaken which is pretty low, low for a guy yeah. of that level i know it's it's funny i feel like the same thing like with jones i was surprised to see that and then honestly when you like you when you first watch Joe Adele tape, you don't see the 70-ish grade raw power that I've seen tossed around, 65-grade raw power, whatever you want to toss it in that window. And I, it's interesting to me because, like, you see the bat speed, it's a longer swing, et cetera, you see some pop. But when you look at the stats, you don't see it, obviously. I mean, he hit four runs in whatever, 80 games. That's impressive. But, you know, when you jump to his stats and box score, you, don't, you aren't blown away. And I almost feel like that dampens his value a bit. But if he could put up a good season in high A or wherever he can get up to this year, you know, I think the sky's the limit for him as far as prospect plays. If you're talking about like a riser on on a top 100 next year, if, if Joe Adele puts together a good season, 
where you start to see him mature into his frame a little bit and get some pop going, and you start to really see that he could become a good corner outfielder, and his arm comes back a little bit to give you a little more defensive security. I'm I'm a huge fan. I think that that becomes like the Taylor Trammell of this year, and it shoots up into the top 30-ish, 40-ish. And obviously there's going to be varying takes on him because, you know, the swing's long, et cetera, where's the K-rate end sure. up, but... I'm fine with it. He makes such good quality on contact side that if he's striking out 25% of the time, I think he could still end up being like a three-and-a-half war guy. And I'm all in. I'm, I like Joe Adele a lot, honestly, the more I thought about it. But I still like Jones as much. I, I think that it's funny. <laughs> I'm still dying that we, we had this conversation like a month or so ago that we were just both like, yeah, let's go Jones. Like, we were just kind of <laughs> – just made more sense. Like, floor perspective, you know, Adele swings long, and then we start to kind of dig in, and we're looking, and we're going, uh Man, that pop and Dallas bat. If you're looking like upside, legitimate power. I, it's well, a, I think it's a I think everything we, we detailed. I think it's why I put them together too, and why I use the text uh, conversation is because it was so close that it was. Yeah, everything we said is still holds true. Exactly. You know, Adele has the higher ceiling. Jones is a little bit safer. He's a little bit higher level. And uh, I think it's just you know some of the things I've heard about Adele in the off season um, have sort of propelled him above Jones for me. You know, I agree. Um, yeah, it's crazy. I, I want these guys to get to the freaking major league so they can play with Mike Trout. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my I want God, these guys yes, to advance please. so quickly. I wish this core was coming up three years ago. You know, Of oh. course, they probably would have traded them all away to try to win. But <laughs> if they had this core three years ago and they could have gotten some of these guys up in the majors like this year or last year, this year, and next year, oh, my God. Because they do have a really nice core here, you know? Exactly. And I'm trying to find Calhoun's contract right now. Do you know off the top of your head? I'm not sure what he's owed. Didn't he just sign like a deal or something? No, I don't know what Calhoun's Cal- contract is. And you, you tell you're, you're yawning. It's late, right? I'm yawning. I'm <laughs> yawning. Late on I'm these like, coasts, Cal- dude. Nah, it's Cole Calhoun. He makes me sleepy. <laughs> oh man, you know what? Who doesn't make me sleepy? As I as I get another good segue in here, Kevin Mitan. Nice. Um, this is a guy that I had talked about a little bit on uh, podcast with Paul Martin and, and Walter McMichael, which I'm currently sitting in the draft lobby of, and I'm, I'm not making my pick. I think I'm going to do it on air, so we'll, we'll, we'll block off like a five-minute segment. I'll probably have you help ah. me out here. So, uh, But my tan is a guy that they – was. I think the last guy we talked about on the little pot I did with them, which was a lot of fun. I talked through my top 100 list. And um, <sighs> what to say about my tan, Ralph? It's – it's tough. Like, it's a really young guy. He's really, really young. And actually, going back to Baseball America, because I do love their podcast and I, I always cite them, one thing that they said that I, I found pretty interesting was that they repeated that, you know, the guy who's often best at the age of 15 isn't the yes. kid who's the best at the age of 18. The kid who's the best at the age of 18 usually isn't the best at 21. And it's just a matter of development. And I kind of believe that with my tan, because when we first saw him, he was slight, he was a little bit thinner. Um, he, you could tell probably there was a little bit coming on the weight side as far as getting into his stocky frame. I mean, I think he's almost stocky now, I would say, to some extent. Yeah. He, he's, he's built, I guess you could say, but he's stocky. And he was playing up the middle at short, and everyone saw that at that young with what they thought was going to be a projectable, very, very nice hit tool. And they, they fell in love. Because, I mean, it's the same with, like, Pardino, you know? Like, he's a guy who's so young, and he's good. And I really like a lot of his tools. But, you know, you go three years down the road – you know, is he still the best pitcher at, at that age? And I think you kind of apply that logic to my tan. And it, now it's a matter of where does the bat go from here? If he's the third baseman full time, then, you know, the defense matters a bit. He's got a really good arm. He could kind of survive with a really good arm at third. But does what else does he need from his skill set to become a, a good player? You know, and it, it, I think it takes I think what he needs is development. He needs reps. He needs like another three to four years in the minors from my in in my perspective unless he really makes strides very quickly and 
it's an investment from a dynasty perspective if you're looking at him and you're trying to vulture him in a league. You know, this is a, this is a, it's going to be a long haul with him, I think. I don't think he's going to progress too quickly. I think maybe a lot of other people are a little bit bullish on him, but um, mm. they got to move, they got to change that swing a lot. And actually, the one thing I want to bring up, uh, switch hitter, um, I think actually when I first saw a lot of his tape, I saw him from the right side. And I can't say I love the swing a lot, but I actually heard that everyone liked his right side a little bit more. And then I saw some left-handed tape of him from, I want to say, like, July of 2017. I like his left-handed swing more than his right-handed swing. And yeah. I think that's the side you obviously need to be better on from a splits perspective as far as platooning mm-hmm. goes, just to get the advantage more times than not. But I, I, I think I disagree with the industry on the fact that he's better from the right side. I like the, the mechanics of his swing from the left side. I think they sense a little bit longer. But if he's going to third base and he's got decent bat, bat speed, I'm fine with a long swing if, if that means power. And if that means development as that power comes. And I think that's where I'm kind of falling on my tan here. Um, he's 18 years old, 6'2 and 190. We're saying he's a little bit stocky. Um, across two levels, the carry was pretty high. Uh, it was just under, I think, 30% across about 170 plate appearances. Mm. And, uh, you know, switch hitter. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens to him in the next couple of years. But I think it's an investment. It's a long investment. I, Marsh Marsh is probably a little bit more appealing from a from a floor perspective, obviously. But my tan's upside is substantially high. I would say I think it's in the it's it's in the Adele category of pop. Like if this kid could put it all together, you know, it's he's up there. He's he's twenty five home runs a year at third. But the risk is is substantial. I think this is if you look at a top one hundred list and my tan's on it, it's hard to convince me there's someone with more risk than my tan. Do you agree with that, Ralph? Oh yeah, he's going to be the riskiest guy in my top one hundred list. But I just I can't. I can't totally write off the ability that's there. And, I you know, agree. That's, yeah, I think, I haven't I think what, we were, what we were dreaming on here was that this guy was going to be pretty much what Flag Guerrero Jr. is right now is what we thought. Or Kevin even like a Correa. Only. Like, yeah. yeah, up the middle you know, speed power. It's, that's not it. It's not what he is. Exactly. You know, he's more of a, a third base guy. He's, he's a power hitter. But, you know, you give me a 17-year-old projectable switch hit and power hitter. Um, he did get his body, you know, into better shape after all that weight gain. He did trim down. Um, I know the 190 they think is actually like the trim weight. Um, so he's been able to do that. He's in a professional facility. This is his first time, you know, playing stateside. If he was American, he'd be in the upcoming draft class. So I think we got to put that in perspective too. That you know we think the prep kids are raw and the prep kids are That's young. That's a very good point. And this guy is a potential prep kid, but he's already in the professional ranks and because he has such a name. And there was, you know, so much value about a signing and then all the crap that happened afterward with the Braves. It's it's easy to sort of write him off just because he had a bad season. But I can't do that. We just I I think we have to adjust expectations. And I think that's what's happened with my As you said, is he's not going to be this sort of everything guy. He's not Carlos Correa, but he could still be a really exciting power hitting switch switch hitter, uh, switch hitting power third baseman. And that's that's rare. something special. Rare. That's rare. So, yeah, rare. you know, if he if he turns into into uh, Raphael Devers, I think we'd all be very happy if that's where he ended up. Absolutely. You know, three, four years from now. Absolutely. I think that's a that's a decent comp as far as what he could get to in terms of a ceiling and, and end up playing at third base. And, you know, the reason he was that short for a bit, too, is because his defense was pretty good. So I, yeah. I mean, you, 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 shortstop, and you, 
Yeah, and you move him to third, you know, that's probably average to plus glove. And you got to take that into account, too, as far as stability at the position, not moving to DH, et cetera. And, you know, I mean, we're talking about he's 18, too. So I don't know why yeah. I even brought up the term DH when, when you associate that with an 18-year-old. Maybe Will <laughs> Cal- Willie Calhoun, when he was 18, <laughs> you look at him and you go, ah, he was at DH in a couple of years. But I don't probably. mean to knock Willie. I like Willie a lot. Um, <laughs> so jumping to five in your list, Ralph, you have Brandon Marsh, who is, I believe, one of the loves of your life. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I remember the hype around him. You got me into him. I do like Marshall a lot. He was, uh, as we were talking pre-show, or did we talk this on the show that he's a wide receiver? He was a wide yeah, receiver? Yeah, yeah, on the yeah, show. Yeah, I think we mentioned that. Wow, yeah. I, I blur them together. It's just one long Ralph talk every Thursday night. I love it. <laughs> Ralph's so Tell me about Brandon Marsh. Why do you love him so much? Yeah, I just like the, the, the athletic ability. He's got really good bat-to-ball skills. Um, the one thing that we haven't had with Marsh so far in his professional career has been health. He's had string injuries, had a thumb injury almost like weeks after the Mike Trout thumb injury, actually, during the summer. It's right after I wrote the post. At that point, he was hitting everything um, in, in rookie ball. He had like a, you know, 400 plus batting average. You know, the, 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 the OPS was like 1,400. I mean, the numbers were absolutely absurd. Uh, he's got speed. He's got power. He's an unbelievable athlete. It's really, I, you know, a, a powerful sort of quick left-handed swing. It's a little bit funny. I comp it to Colby Rasmus. I know you were sort of digging in. I'll let you go into because you're the swing mechanics yeah. guy. But um, <laughs> it's definitely a unique swing when you watch it. Um, and I don't know if you did get an opportunity to watch some of Colby Rasmus, but they had, like, some of the same, like, that that like that like coil and, like, that, that whole, like, leg kick or foot raise i mean like his knee gets up to like the middle of his chest it's almost uh mckenzie gorish like on his leg kick it's so extreme <laughs> in, in some ways but yeah i think what it comes down to is just he's got some great tools to dream on and and for fantasy in particular um and even look at the guy i mean he's tall slender strong uh he just looks like a ball player man i agree yeah i, I like Marshall a lot um from the mechanic side yeah i think i was competent to a little bit to josh donaldson which yeah. It's a general comp. I admit that it's a general comp just because you see a lot of guys going deep into their back hip on the load. But the an individual I actually pointed out on Twitter, I don't remember his handle at the moment, so I apologize if he happens to be listening. Um, he was talking about how the interesting thing between Donaldson and some of the other guys is that, or excuse me, between Marsh and Donaldson and Marsh and these other guys, um, is the fact that when Marsh gets back into his back hip, he like almost inverts his knee a little bit. And it's not like he's loading on his hip per se, but it's a lot of that weight. He's really aggressively staying inside his knee. Like if you slow a lot of guys down and you look at their swing from the side. So from like, imagine you're sitting in the other batter's box, looking at the hitter's chest and he goes back into his swing. You'll often see, you know, his weight is sometimes inside that leg. And that's where you want it as a hitter. If you're getting your weight to go forward, you know, a lot of guys, you know, Acuna, Acuna does a pretty good job at this, keeping it inside, but he actually coils up pretty early. So he's a, he's an early mover in terms of getting back into his swing. But when he's actually loaded his weight, he's not an early mover. He actually stays back there and, and centers it very well and comes forward. But but Marsh stays really, really inside that knee. It's, it's kind of funky almost. And that's where it kind of differs from Donaldson. But the load is similar because it's a big leg kick. It's, a, it's the same bat plane as far as where he's going down high elbow. Um, wraps that bat around a little bit and he's got really good bat speed and I, I like him a lot as far as what he could become offensively um yeah the Colby Rasmus swing is interesting I think that Marsh is probably a little more crouched I think that's where you see the differential between them Ralph um just from my perspective but it's funny you mentioned Colby Rasmus too because I think you mentioned that to me and then I asked you what Colby Rasmus because he's actually a guy that uh, when I played baseball when I was younger uh everyone used to count me to him because I had long hair 
So I'd be like, he was the, he was like the original, he was the OG on the, on the long hair. I'm going to put yeah, that out right was. now. Colby Rasmus was the OG on the long hair and I loved it. And because I had long hair, everyone comped him to me. And uh, I've always loved him because he's a Cardinal too for a while. I'm a Cardinals fan for anyone who doesn't know. Yep. And uh, obviously kind of a busted prospect, whatever. But I've always had a soft spot for him because he's he's been around a while. And, you know, he's had some good seasons. But he's changed his swing, man. Every year I would watch him in spring training and I'd be like, well, he's different now. And, you know, he'd always have kind of similar leg kick, but his hands were either up or low or, or it was higher. And then later in his career, he just kind of rested his bat on his shoulder and he made that leg kick more timing instead of weight transfer. And it was it was interesting, and I don't think I see March doing all that to his swing just because I think it's successful right now. But I see what you're saying as far as getting up into that leg. Like, Colby's leg kick is wild, and mm. March's is funky, too. So, as mm. far as the funkiness goes, the fun- funky factor, I'm going to make that up. Funky factor, I like that. It's, it's up nice. there for March. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's good. Uh, 350 average and 192 plate appearance, as you said. Um, how much of a stolen base threat do you think he is? That's one thing that I wasn't too sure on. We're saying he's a really good athlete. I don't know in terms of how efficient he was, but uh, I, I think he did swipe a couple bags, and I was interested in kind of overall if that's an aspect of his game, is it, or is it more like non-zero? It feels like non-zero to me, just the fact that he, he could toss out 6-10 to 10 in a given season. But um, uh, that's an aspect of his game that you kind of – I feel like you've seen a lot of these guys that are athletic. You know, like we were talking a little Bregman before the show too. He's a, he's a quick guy. He's really, really quick. And he stole a ton of bases, we were saying, in LSU. And uh, – um, I feel like March could be sneaky on that. Um, I'm not too sure what his speed is. It might downgrade as far as he fills out into his frame a little bit. He's a little mm. bit bigger, I think, and a little bit wider body. So, uh, but yeah, I like his swing a lot. And he's another guy with bat speed on this list. And at, at the end of the day, if you're looking at exit velocity and trying to project mm. guys off that, look at bat speed first because that's the base predictor of it. Yeah, um, he was ten. He was ten out. He was ten out of twelve on the bases. Yeah, that, I think that's good. I think you need like if you're looking like it's great efficiency wise. I love that. Like that is awesome. He's like, like 80ish percent, 85 percent. Love yep. it. I love it. Because as he goes up to nine games, can... didn't play yeah. a lot of games either. Only 39 that's, games. So. That's awesome. Yeah, I love bad. it. I think he could end up being like a 10 bad guy with, you know, 20, 25 home run pop and good average. So um, I, I like that. Later in, later in first year, or not first year player drafts, but if you're doing prospect drafts, you're trying to buy on an outfielder, you think he has some upside. I, I like Marsh. I like Marsh a lot. I think you were astute to pick him out early, Ralph. So props. I tip my cap to you. And I also tip my cap. Another fantastic segue here to Rotoware, Ralph. Tell us about Rotoware. Yes, I was going to say, someone that will never disappoint you is Kenneth underscore Cashman. That's at Kenneth underscore Cashman, at RotoWare, at RotoWare.com if you want to follow him on Twitter. He's always giving away new T-shirts, new designs coming out every single week. Only the highest quality materials go into RotoWare shirts, only the best designs. Kenny does this for a job. Um, you know, he's a graphic designer by trade, does this every day, applies his passion for fantasy sports uh, to these T-shirts. And baseball in particular is his favorite. So he's got a designs coming out. I don't know if you guys have seen uh, the advanced stat shirt. Obviously, did the very special limited edition crab T-shirt, which I obviously have a soft spot for. But there's a million other designs that are coming out. He's got the prospect stasher shirt for all us prospect fans perfect shirt for us it's almost like a prospect patch from like uh sons of uh, anarchy or a biker gang or something so it's a black shirt really cool um and the, ma- the material is just unbelievable i know donkey teeth another guy that's in this dynasty draft with us i lost a bet with him with the uh, patriots uh, in the super bowl had to send him out a roto wear shirt and he described it as making love to him just like gray did and uh, i would say the same it's just great material um, I do everything in these shirts. They're always like my go-to shirts when I get home. I get like eight of them now. I can pretty much wear one every single day, multiple times a day. I wear them to the gym. You know, the sweat just beads off them. I went for a five-mile run the other day, 
And I usually I'm like drenched in sweat. It just was beaten off my RotoWear shirt, threw it in the laundry, and it was a million bucks again. You know, that's the other thing is they don't fade. So use promo code SAGNOFF to get these great T-shirts. You get 20% off. That's S-A-G-N-O-F. And you can tell them that uh, Ralphie Lifshit sent you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That Crab Army shirt, I did get mine in the mail. I don't. You're actually reminding me right now that I didn't tweet out about it. So I have to I have to please the Crab Army and do that. It's a beautiful shirt. He actually, I didn't realize he wasn't just doing a screen printed design. It's like. It's like a fuzzy yeah. design. It's awesome. Yeah. I got it, and I was like, oh, my God. I did not expect that at all. But you're, you're 100% spot on with the quality of the shirts. Um, I'm awesome. I'm so excited to be a sponsor of Everything Razzball because I, I love what Kenny does. I love his graphics, too. That's, like, the thing I think I mention all the time. Super underrated about the follow that he is on Twitter is the fact that he, he throws out some unreal graphics every now and then, and I love it. So um, definitely Sagnoff, RotoWare. As I always say, I have a challenge for anyone to just go on RotoWare.com put 12 shirts in your cart and buy them all and then send me a picture on twitter i'm waiting for someone to do it so uh i don't know what i'm, I'm not gonna give you anything but and give kenny some business i guess but uh, that's it that's it jumping back into the angels list here we have finished off the top five in honorable fashion um paying our best respects to the five individuals that we really enjoy in this angel system and now uh, it kind of gets a little bit murkier we jumped to jamie barria at six Randy pitcher um, control guy, good change up from what I hear. Um, I think the biggest question is, you know, where exactly does his value go as you head into like redraft leagues? Cause you know, I feel like a lot of these lists, I mean, everyone above here on this list is from Otani. We're talking about the core, this kind of core four aside from Otani, you know, these guys are two to three years off you know, and maybe Jamon Jones is a little bit closer, but Barry is a guy I think could jump into the Angels rotation at some point this year and make a, a relatively, you know, decent impact, I think. I don't think he's as high on the K upside as we've seen from guys like Andrew Heaney and Skaggs and Richards, but he's a control pitcher. He reminds me, you know, a little bit like a Marco Estrada kind of guy where he's a little bit more pitchability on the changeup side. Um, the fastball isn't unbelievable. The curveball, the breaking ball isn't going to blow you away. But uh, the question I had for you, Ralph, on this is has, has to do kind of with the general trend of where we see a lot of these guys who we think might end up being, you know, four or fives in a rotation. Like, where does their value go if their dominant pitch is a changeup or something like that? And to me, it doesn't seem like Barria really has the the chops to be like a late inning bullpen arm. Like, do they? No. Do you think developmentally he just ends up being like a four or five, or do you think they try to modify that breaking ball and make him like a, you know, a, a seventh or eighth inning guy, or does he just turn into like a Brad Peacock platoony guy? Like, that's, I think, my biggest problem with some of these guys where I don't think there's too high of upside, mm -hmm. but they have some pitchability, but the pitchability can't translate to the point where it's an effective, effective reliever. It's more like in that, you know, sixth inning guy or a 4-5. And there's it limits the value to some extent. I'd rather go with a guy who I think has a ton of upside, but, you know, if the upside doesn't work out, he still has got really good, two good pitches, and that could become a late inning reliever. As an absolute fallback, I tend not to kind of focus on those relievers and drafts, but, but Barry is, as I mentioned, a change of guy, decent control. And I think at the end of the day, that's what we're looking at. It's probably more a four or five. But mm. do you like him more than that, Ralph? No, I think he's a four or five. I don't really think he's somebody's going to end up in the bullpen because he's kind of got a flat, straight, low 90s fastball. And it's low 90s. It's like 91, you know, maybe touches 92. But he works mostly like 90, 91. This is a pinpoint control guy. He throws a lot of strikes. He can pick his spots. Sort of, you know, he's a what my, my baseball coach would have called a move pitcher that he sort of moves the ball around the zone that, you know, he can pick his spots from the high corners and the inside or the outside. You know, he can pitch inside or outside of anybody, any part of the plate. And he does a good job of sequencing. Um, he's got kind of a funky curveball. If you look at his older stuff, it was a lot loopier. He started to throw it a little bit harder. 
So um, it's it's not it's it doesn't have as much break as it used to. The changeup has some nice fade on it. His changeup is a legit plus pitch. Um, but the thing I the thing I struggle with guys like this is typically guys with good control and a feel for a changeup at an early age are really successful in the lower minors and against lower level competition. But once they get up to the major leagues, those guys are used to seeing changeups and they're used to seeing guys that throw strikes and they'll make you pay if you believe anything in the zone that they can jump on, especially if it's a straight 91 mile per hour fastball. So that's one of the things about Barry that I sort of worry about that. I don't know if there's a lot of paths to success besides as a starter, but the other thing we have to keep in mind is he's what 21 years old um, progressed. He'll be 22 in July progressed unbelievably quickly um, was successful in the upper minors for the most part. I know he only had 15 innings in triple uh, a but he pitched 62 in double a i think i have yeah the numbers he started in high a and the numbers were good throughout uh struggled a little bit more in double a than he did obviously in in high a, even though it was the cal league cal league really isn't a hitters league any longer outside of lancaster uh, i think we need to mention that every time we bring up the cal league now so <laughs> i have my questions i have my questions with him it's just one of these guys that i think he's really interesting like really late in a dynasty league if it's like a quality starts league or an unlimited unlimited innings league, and you just want somebody to like at that point, you're just taking flyers and starters. I think he's a like even like an NFBC is like your last pick, and you want another starter. There is honestly a chance that this guy makes 15 starts for the Angels with the way the shape Draft that they're hold, yeah yeah the shape that their rotations in in terms of all the guys with elbow and shoulder and I mean between Richards, Otani, Skaggs. I mean we can go right down the line. Haney, they have a ton of guys with really long injury history. So. He's got an opportunity. He's certainly their best arm at AAA, in my opinion. So I wouldn't be shocked if he came up and was just as good as, like, you know, Parker Bridwell was for him as, like, a random, you know, five that got really lucky and just threw a lot of strikes and figured something out. Um, Yeah, I don't know. He's not somebody to get excited about. It's funny. This list is drastically different. I feel it's like you can see the remnants of DePoto in the back of the top (laughs) top ten, you know? Don't knock my boy DePoto. (laughs) Is he still on the podcast, by the way? He does. It's much much less consistent. I think they've had like one episode in the last month. But uh, but I mean, he's a GM. (laughs) Come on. You know, it's one of those things. I I can't. I can't. I just want DePoto. I want him like once a month. Give me a once a month. I would. I'd I'd honestly maybe even pay for that. You know, put on the athletic. Something like that. Put it behind a paywall. I'll pay for that. But uh, a Barrio from from a mechanical perspective with Barrio, I was watching some tape. I noticed that his torso actually stays pretty upright. In his delivery, if you yeah. pause him at front, front front foot plant, which is a phrase I can never say, front foot plant. There it is. I got it good there. Um, another guy who does this, actually, another Cardinal. Obviously, I've seen a lot of Cardinals pitches in the last couple of years. Michael Walker stays pretty up white. Up, Jesus, now I sound like Roger Rabbit. <laughs> oh, Ralph, it's late. <laughs> it's late. It's like it's getting near midnight. We usually are done by now and are just kind of catching up. But, uh, but yeah, I, I noticed that. And, I mean, you see this the, the polar opposite of this is guys like Scherzer. And uh, even guys like Nate Pearson, who I just wrote a column on, actually, um, they have a heavy pull down with their torso and a really active front leg to stabilize that. But Barrio stays pretty upright. Um, I actually think he could probably get into his lower half more to generate a little bit more velocity. But one thing I do often notice with field guys like this who end up with changeups is that I don't feel like a lot of them get insane extension and really pull back and generate velocity from their lower half. And I always wondered if there's a tie between that and, you know, not the best control. And then the elite elite guys like Scherzer and, 
even Kluber to some extent. He's not crazy on extension, but he's still a fantastic pitcher. But, I mean, Scherzer's a pretty good example of a guy who gets wicked extension and, and really pulls down with his torso and gets an active front leg going and generates really good velo. But uh, he's elite, whereas Barria is a guy who, who does this, but who doesn't pull down, who stays pretty upright. And I, I'm interested to see if you tinker with that, you know. He could probably get him up to like a 94, 95 mile per hour fastball, but the velocities are going to, I mean, or the control is going to fade. So mm. I, it's kind of pick your poison. I always wondered if someone did like a study on that. It's really hard though to, you know, and then again, I'm thinking with all like the video recognition tech we have nowadays, Ralph, I feel like you might be able to do that. Look at like distance between certain points. If you just get pictures from one angle and then plot that against like control and regress it and kind of see um, mm. if there's any, if there's any correlation between like, you know, how much activity there is in their front leg and, and their torso pull down related to velocity and related to control. Because I always feel like guys are a little more upright mm. and up being a little more control side, but I could be wrong on that. I don't yeah. know. That's just my kind of opinion. But Probably because they're more, they're typically more straight on with a plate, I would imagine. Exactly, yeah. And I don't think you know? it's, as a, it's not as high effort either. So you feel like yeah. you can kind of hone in your control a little bit. Like a guy like Kyle Hendricks, really not high effort, but really good control. And he knows what he's doing and he can pitch really well. And that's kind of what you hope, I think, Berea could become. So, I was thinking about I was thinking about taking him in that dynasty league. I own him in the RDI, and I, I kind of like he's only twenty eight, and he was so Hendricks. I'm talking about he was so <laughs> successful throughout his minor yeah. league career that it's, he it's was. his good ERAs. I don't I think that's I think that's a product of of skills. I I don't think it's all luck based. I know that you know twenty sixteen was was sort of off the charts, but I wouldn't be shocked if he's if he puts together a season like that again. You know, yeah, if he's like I think the, he's underrated. I agree. I think if he's – he could be a solid, like, number two on the Cubs. We're jumping into, like, regular baseball now. We're, we're just going – we're devolving into just a regular baseball podcast. It's because it's, <laughs> it's the Angels and their yeah, bottom of the no, property. No. But I got to tell you, it's funny. I wanted to bring this up because we'll, sure. we'll sort of round out the podcast yeah, here and we maybe we'll finish off with – uh, together these last couple with, guys. Yeah, with Matt Thighs and – I can uh, do – soup. you want to see, like, how quickly I can run through each and give you something on them? I think that would well, be fun. I, I think it's funny <laughs> because I think if you look at Barrier, Rodriguez, and, and Canning, that's – it's obvious that the angels like guys that have feel for a changeup because the yeah, best that's true. for all three of these guys, they all have plus changeups. Um, and, the, and the each of them about, throws really different too, honestly, yeah. like funky deliveries. All yeah. Barry is pretty standard, yeah. but Rodriguez yeah. has like a heavy pullback and almost the hitch. He gets yeah. crazy extension and his velo is much higher. And I, I bet that changeup is probably a little more effective from just an overall, you know, whiff standpoint, whereas Barry's is probably a little more get ahead ground balls, et cetera. But the Griffin canning is like, Really simple delivery. UCLA pitcher college didn't throw any minor league innings. Professional, I believe. I don't think he threw any. Yeah, he, had, he threw 134 yeah. for UCLA. Yeah, so I, when He's guys do stuff like that, like Fado, when guys throw that throw that much for big programs, they throw. Yeah, and they're throwing big innings because they're playing in big games. So there's some of those pressure situations and things like that that I think that you know they know this guy's polished. He doesn't need to play two months of rookie ball. So yeah. I, I think they just they've rest those guys as they should. You know, mm-hmm. I agree. And Canning Canning is like. I, he's funky. You watch him, and he feels kind of old school in the delivery. It's it's mm. he, he almost feels like his shoulder flies open early, but I know it doesn't yeah. because he's got really good movement on all his pitches. But what he does really well from watching some some UCLA tape of him, his arm speed and his slot is identical on a lot of his pitches. And I, that's where he gets a lot of his deception. I watched a, some tape of a game where he K'd 12, I want to say, Stanford hitters, and it's like that's decent. Like that's good. It's not like some random Georgia school. You know, it's it's good. Like. Stanford's a solid baseball team every year and yeah. uh, in college side. And Kenning looked really good. I, I was pretty surprised just because like, you watch him and you're like, he looks kind of low effort, maybe low velocity, yeah. maybe probably sits low 90s. But 
I think he's got like a decent three pitches. He's not, I don't think the upside's great, but it kind of falls into that barrier category for me where, you know, I don't think the stuff's good enough to become a reliever. So you just got to hope he ends up being like a three at his peak. Um, Rodriguez is probably the more of the upside guy we're looking at. Yeah, here. absolutely. Um, he's got, he's got two plus pitches where Canning really yeah. only has the, that has the, the change up and he spots his fastball and Canning. One thing I wanted to mention that I've heard sure. is Canning has not a ton of velocity in the fastball, but really high spin rate in the fastball for what it's worth. Hmm. That's interesting. So, yeah, I, I yeah. couldn't. I mean, I, spin rate's That's interesting. One those, spin rate's one of those things. Like, do you know how to scout spin rate? Is that like a thing you can do? No, they they measure it. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking, like, if if you saw if you put a, like a, a professional scout in front of a pitcher at the minor league level, is it a matter of like does spin rate lead to more whiffs from hitters? Like, if a guy's a good fastball, mm-hmm. is it implied it's a good spin rate? Yes. Or is that more velocity tied? Like that's kind of where like I get spin rate, but like Hunter Green's always had a. They say he's he has like a low spin rate. And some people are worried about it, but like. I, and what does that do? Like, if he's if he can elevate that fastball, he could bring in a two seamer. Like, the spin rate just mean it's flat. Like, does no. it run? Well, like, it depends. So, like, um, if it if it's a high spin like curveball, um, yeah, it then it's, it's a lot. It breaks more. If it's a high spin fastball, it's uh, it's typically harder to pick up. Those guys are typically fly ball guys too. So if like you see a sinker, you don't want a sinker. The, yeah, I see what you're you saying. You don't want a sinker to spin. You don't want spin. So like, the lowest spin fastball is like Louis uh, Perdomo. Oh, and wow. he's a really, you know, his sinker is actually a really good pitch. He's a heavy sinker guy. Um, so sinker guys typically don't want the spin on that fastball where somebody like uh, Garrett Richards, his fastball is as good as it is. He's got good velocity too. Mm-hmm. You know, he can hit 96, 97, but um, he's like the high spin rate king. He's got a ton of spin rate on that fastball. So I think when you don't see big velocity, I think that it's a good sign because uh, it's one more thing that they may have. And I think it also sort of feeds in, I if I remember correctly from some of those tunneling articles that, you know, they think that can feed into it too, just in terms of that white blur uh, that mm-hmm. sort of comes at you and then drops um, that it's, you know, if you have a good breaking ball that you can spin a little bit and, you know, change up, he's got some pitches you can spin. Um, plus, you know, a fastball that, that spins a lot, it's even tougher to pick up. So maybe that's where he's going to miss some bats from. I think if you don't have the velocity there, it's good to at least have the spin. Yeah, that's Do, fair. Can I, can I tell you, 100 percent what it does no but i can say after talking to uh mike from statcast uh <laughs> petrello yeah yeah petrello definitely uh, b- believes in it well here's the funny thing is my best friends uh from like in my wedding his name is mike petrello so i don't say his <laughs> name purpose person is pur- purposely i can't apparently say purposely either but um <laughs> i don't say it on purpose because i always will say mike petrillo and then i'm like wait it's not uh, mike it's your petrillo. friend you're talking about your friend yeah. the stack ass guy <laughs> exactly so like mike the stack ass guy yeah i actually kind of want i think that's something i don't have the best understanding of a spin rate because i feel like that's one of the stats where we don't really have a full understanding of what it is so we're just like oh he's got a high spin rate and then like the obvious counter by anyone and I do this all the time with stats is just, so, so what does it mean? You know? And I feel like I need Petrella to just give me a quick answer on that. Like to be able to categorize, like what am yeah. I looking for with high spin rate and low spin rate? Like they were saying, uh, so I watch, I'm absolutely insane. And I rewatched, um, the entire 2017 perfect game watching some of those college kids. And, uh, <laughs> it's on YouTube. If anyone wants to watch like two hours and 50 minutes, really good quality video. I think someone just pulled it from ESPN or whatever. It was probably MLB network, or whatever it was streamed on, but there's this kid, Carter Stewart, who has the highest spin rate curveball of any in the StatCast era, and he's a prep arm. And this pitch is disgusting. Like, it is just bonkers. Like, the spin on this pitch is the depth of it and the dive is just... 
it's baffling to me. Like you watch this kid and, and that like blows my mind. Like how can a kid who's a prep pitcher have the highest spin rate curveball that has ever been recorded in the StatCast era? I was literally sitting there like that can't be true. Like I just didn't believe it. And then like they kept saying it. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to like say Jonathan Mayo's wrong. So I just got accepted. So like, what is that? Like, that's where I kind of get into it. It's like, you know, like when you, you know, you hear often when they come up with new stats, you have to kind of give the stat the eye test. You know, you yeah. say this, you hear this in basketball all the time because it's simpler where you have like clear, really good players like LeBron, et cetera. It's like you come up with a new stat. Yeah. If LeBron's not in the top three, it's not a good stat. And it's like, that's what I think about with spin rate. It's like you look at spin rate and you see Carter Stewart at the top is a prep pitcher. It's like, what does that mean? Like he's, he's you put him in the major leagues now, he's not gonna be able to do anything. Like you can throw that curveball, everyone's gonna wait on it. You know, this is devolved. This is Lance Rambling. Oh my god! It's so well, late, Ralph. I don't really want to talk about Matt Thighs either. If I, I have either. to be honest, Matt Thighs is a boring. I don't like his swag. I'll contact you. first on base, first base. He's Scott Hattenberg. It's funny. Somebody said Funky that in the swag. baseball, the Baseball America podcast, and I was like, yeah, I like you know what? That's totally true. He's Scott Hatterberg. Absolutely. He's going to be in it. Yeah. I, he's one of those guys that um, coming out of college because of where he played. If I remember correctly, I think Thighs, Thighs wasn't a Clemson guy. He was a UVA guy, if I'm not mistaken. Virginia? If you want to, if you want to check that, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that he was a Virginia guy and that's not an easy place to hit. Um, you know, I know that uh, one of the reasons a lot of people liked uh, Derek Fisher's powers because that was a, a tough place, to, a tough place to hit. And he hit a lot of homers there. Yep. So I wondered if he might have the ability to, yeah, he was a UVA, UVA guy. Yep. If, uh, if he does have the ability to tap into a little bit more power with that on base ability and the contact, it was sort of the Pavin Smith sort of thing, sure. but he's not as good as Pavin Smith. So like it's a moot point. And then ultimately he's just sort of a boring, I think he might get to the major leagues, but He's very much a second division regular borderline guy until he uh, figures out the fly ball revolution and, you know, launch angles the crap out of his swing or something and figures out how to get into more power. But it's just not there. And he's really not an exciting player for fantasy. Yeah. I I don't mind that Pavin comp just gets UVA, but like their swings are like night and day. Like Pavin's lefty swing is so compact and it's pop. Thias's swing is like funky. It's long. There's a lot of barrel movement above his head. I. I just don't like it too much. I think that he could tap into power. Like, if you give me a, a video of him in six months down the road where that swing is different, I could buy in. I could buy in him being like a Lomo-ish kind of every now and then puts up a good season, runs into a couple 20 home run, 25 home run campaigns, and everyone loves him. But but the swing now, just I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of it, so we could pass on him. And then Leonardo Rivas, I believe, is uh, – I skipped over Michael, Michael Hermosillo just because I, I don't really know what to say about him. Fourth outfield yeah. to me. Triple, triple, triple A, uh, triple A outfielder. You can yeah. run a little bit. Slash 287, yeah. 341, no power. Really no pop. Um, yeah, he jumped up a little bit too. I think he was small sample base, but I don't see much power with the swing. It's pretty level. But Leonardo, Leonardo Rivas, we can close out kind of the Angels talk here with. I think that as far as floor goes, he's got a pretty high floor. And it's a, it's a matter for deciding kind of is it minor league floor like is this just going to be a guy who plays you know 10 years in the minor leagues because he could field really really well and he has probably the best approach right now on this list as term in terms of walk and, and strike zone wrecking or controlling the strike zone and breaking ball recognition etc and that's saying a lot because you have some pretty solid names on this list as far as approach goes um but i, I mean outside of that you know he's tiny he's a really tiny guy it's not an altuve comp i'm not going to comment to altuve like everyone does any guy anytime's a guy under 58 they're always like oh it's altuve it's, no this is a very different hitter than altuve it's more like a like a cesar hernandez with better discipline almost you know 
Um, I'd probably comp that out. But uh, the floor seems high. I might kick him up because of the floor and, and drop a, a Hermosillo down. But it's it's tinkering. You know, as me and Ralph always say, once you get past six on most lists, seven on most lists, yeah. there's really no difference between seven and 15. So, Ralph, I think we're done. I think we got through it. I, that that 50-minute chunk there was good. I, we just evolved. It's late. We had uh, we, we can't really dig into these guys too much. You know, no, Rodriguez it, is like, fun, but... The back of their list are guys that would be in, like, the top 18, like, 20, yeah, yeah. 25 and to 30. And it's like them. mediocre yeah. systems. I mean, really, after you get out of, like, Griffin Canning, it's not much. Exactly. We're going to close out the show with uh, um, me picking in this real fake da- Dynasty League, actually. We'll see. We'll see if you can get onto the, if you can get onto the site. Is are it you not on loaded? Right now? I'm on Fantrax, yeah. I don't know. I was, ha- I was having some issues with the site. Well, my wheel is spinning at the top here. For anyone, this is obviously turning into more casual conversation between me and Ralph now. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see here. So my queue right now, Ralph, I could, I could shoot through my team quick. Um, if you got your team up, shoot you through your team too. We're only at like an hour, 10 minutes. So we got, we got a little bit of time here. My yeah. team, I, I went I went oldie, oldie but goodie here, I got to say. So I was looking at where the prospects were going, and my impression was I think I have a really good shot to win each of the next two years if I do what I'm doing. And now I'm kind of getting to the point where I might want to fill it out with some prospects. So that always happens to me, and it's terrible on the dynasty side. But my team is Joey Votto, Paul DeYoung, Anthony Rendon, Orlando Arcia, Greg Bird, Nomar Mazar, Giancarlo Stan. Those are my uh, seven hitters. And then Mm -hmm. I have Garrett Cole, John Gray, Luke Weaver for my pitchers. So I wanted to try to go with major league talent that was young, was kind of my strategy. So I don't really have a true prospect on this list. In my queue right now, I have... Seven guys, a couple outfielders, a couple pitchers. I have Dustin Fowler, who is a sneaky steals guy that I kind of want to grab just because I need steals and there's really not steals left on the board. Michael doesn't, Watt doesn't get on base a lot, though. I know, but I still think he can steal like 25. Like, the okay. o- Oakland runs a ton, and I have like no bags. Like, my bags right now are what? Orlando Arcia, and that's it. Like, I got nothing. O- Oakland runs? Oakland Semyon, right? He he always was a terrible percentage. No, guy. he doesn't. He doesn't run enough. I I feel like Oakland doesn't run into outs at all. Well, I don't know why I'm thinking that they run more than they do. Huh? This I'm gonna, I'm gonna misperception. At, I'm gonna look at yeah. steal attempts up, per game. I thought no, they were toward the bottom. Because hmm. I, I don't think they, they run into outs. It's a money ball thing. Oh, I thought they were more like a they run a lot and are terrible percentage wise. <laughs> but I don't know. I always thought semi had a terrible percentage. I might just be applying semi into the whole team when in reality it's probably a terrible thing to do. But I, I had some confidence Fowler could get they were they were, they were third oh, to God. last but um all right. Don't listen to me. <laughs> yeah, they were point four nine. So Toronto and Baltimore are the only teams that ran less. Wow. Yeah. Well maybe it was that's... all semi then. Um yeah. well I'm wrong there. <laughs> Screw that. Uh Another Oakland outfielder, though, and a former Cardinal that I like the last team, Piscotti, I have in my queue. Michael Walker, I have in my queue. The pick that I think I'm leaning towards right now, Ralph, help me out, Mitch Keller right now. This is around, yes. I think, just outside of the top 200. It'd be my yeah. first true prospect. I've always liked Mitch Keller. I like what he does. But then that's competing in my head with Mitch Hanniger. So the, the battle of the Mitches here, I guess you could say. Hanniger's only 27. <laughs> it would fill out my outfield a little bit. Good OBP guy. I know. So it's Mitch Keller or Hanniger, or I could kind of throw the board out there. Um, let's see here. Hitter side. Uh, see, my site's not loading now. Oh, man. I'm not going to be able to pick. Yeah, I don't think you are. I think well, you're going to have an issue. I'm going to have an issue. I'm probably going to have an issue. Well, that's what I'm debating between. Mitch Keller, Mitch Hanniger, past 200 on this team. Um, I could, what do you uh, think? What I do you could think, go Ralph? either way. I could go either way. I think with the type of team that you have, um, 
I think Mitch Hanniger is a, a safer, better pick, even though I would like to draft Mitch Hanniger on my team. Uh, <laughs> I think that Mitch Hanniger is a good pick for you. I thought about him the last round myself. Yeah. And I think that you, Keller is good. And I think you could hold off for another round on Keller and try to try to pull the trigger there. I won't pick him. I promise. Um, I already got my high-end pitching prospect that I wanted to grab. And I, I think what the thing is, is like you got to, especially in these these 20-team leagues, you can't worry so much about winning this year because so much can go wrong as much as you have to draft guys you like and you think are fun to own. So um, that's, that's what I did when I drafted Mackenzie Gore. I was between some MLB guys, and I could have definitely added another bat or an MLB pitcher, and I was just like, you know what? I really want to own Mackenzie Gore. I don't own Mackenzie Gore anywhere, and this is the only chance I'm probably going to get to own him. Yeah. So I'm going to freaking draft Mackenzie Gore, and I'm going to hold on tight for two years, and uh, maybe he progresses as quickly as I hoped. You know, That was the same thing with like Otani, and it's one of the reasons I bought it on price uh, as like my veteran leadership in the clubhouse uh, <laughs> with my young that. guns. Yeah, right. Um, but I, I, I buy into the bounce back for price this year. I know that was one of the things that we were sort of contested on a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, um, we were, we're at odds on that. But Going through the rest of my team here, I took uh, Sanchez in the second round because it's a two-catcher league, and I love to draft Gary Sanchez in Dynasty. I've now done it twice. Uh, I've drafted him within the top 25 picks or something like that, or top 30 picks now twice uh, with my two startup dynasties this year. So I'm the guy that likes to draft catchers uh, in the second, first and second round. Frazier in the 10th around pick 200 uh, Domingo Santana. So I have a lot of power and speed and uh, a lot of uh, risk in my outfield lamb. I like a lot. It was crazy when I started to look up how he ranked in terms of overall statistics in this league amongst third baseman. It's really high. Cause he has a really high OBP and he gets on base. So I don't have to worry about, about the batting that. average. It's like, oh, damn, I didn't realize how good Lamb was. And then I took uh, Keston Heria because I really yeah, want to own Keston Heria. Same thing. OBP and he's like, yeah, he's going to be so good in OBP at second base, you know? Absolutely. You know you know about the, the Lamb peaks, though. You see his splits over the last two years. I know that stuff's not oh, really yeah. too predictive, but holy God. I'll have to have find someone who's good bonkers. in the second half. Yeah, I'll have yeah, to find a way to trade for Alex Bregman and right before <laughs> yeah. the second half starts. And uh, exactly, I'll, I'll put Lamb in my bench or whatever. But I'm willing to live with it. Maybe he can find a little bit more consistency. I'm not too worried about the humidor either. We'll see how that works out. I think that's yeah, a wait-and-see thing. We, People were like, sky is falling yesterday, oh adjusting God. their projections by 25 to 40%. That's what I said on the baseball show. I was like, I'll, yeah, there's nothing else to talk about right now. That's why they're obsessing so, about this humidor. So I'll, I'll, I'll give my... See. Everyone talked about the humidor. I'll give my five minutes on the humidor. You can give yours and we'll be out of here, Ralph. My right, five cool. minutes on the humidor, everyone just takes 25% of Goldie's home home runs and pulls them back. Give me the distance of each of those home runs. Let me talk to Alan Nathan. Let me know how much the humidor is going to drop those back on feet and then tell me if he's losing five home runs. That's what I want to know. I don't care. This is the thing. Like we, we know the juice ball helps marginal power hitters more. It helps guys like Elvis Andrews a lot. Giancarlo yes. Stan is going to hit 55 home runs. It does not matter if there's a juiced ball or not. The ball's just going to go further over the fence. He's still hitting home runs. Maybe he gets yeah. a little bit more here or there, but Freddie Galvis, guy who hit like 19, 20 home runs the other year. You know, Elvis Andrews, this is the guys that's helping because they have wall scrapers. So yeah, exactly. Paul Goldschmidt's spray chart of home runs at home, take, take back whatever distance this humor is going to do, and then tell me his home run total. Don't just take 25 off the top. It's too crude of math. I don't like it. What about you? Well, the other thing I saw too, I just this one talking point, uh, and Michael Florio of uh, Fantasy or whatever was bringing this up that he had looked at 
after Coors got the the humidor and what the adjustment was the first year versus the next two years, it went right back up. Well, mm-hmm. what do we know about the about that particular team in like 2001? I, I, I can't remember the 2001 Rockies. I don't know who was on their team. So that might have been why either. they hit 25 less homers, right? Or whatever. We don't know who the visiting teams were. Like what? There's so many things. Here's the other thing. Chase and the Diamondbacks, this system has been installed in a major league park before and somebody has been able to work it and adjust it and understand it so there's 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 a predecessor here where i don't think there was with with coors and if it did allow them to drop the first year and then they figured it out it's still a hitter's paradise i you know i i I just can't go in it like a 25 percent or more that is a huge chunk of production i I just can't imagine that it's going to be that much of a factor. Maybe it is, but why would you do that if you're the Diamondbacks? They had a good home ERA. Everybody but Robbie Ray did, at least. Robbie Ray was just pushing <laughs> on, the, on the road, right? Um, they hit. It's exciting. That's what's getting people to the ballpark for the most part. You know, you, you sort of slugged your way into the playoffs, with obviously with a good pitching staff, but there's a good, you know, between him and J.D. Martin, you know, Goldie, J.D. Martinez, the rest of the guys in that lineup. I don't understand why they want to take that much offense away. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, I think it's, so the I get I... pitching wins. I, I get it. it. It's interesting. But at the same time, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I can't 25% is crazy. That's a huge amount. It is. So the thing is, I want to, two quick things here. One, I believe the reason why they're doing this from the D backs perspective is pitcher complaints around the grip of the ball. So I don't know how sure. true that is, but I've, I think that's one of the reasons why. I don't think they're looking at a big picture and going, oh, no, Goldie's going to hit X amount of home runs last whatever. They're looking at it because they want their pitchers to be more comfortable with the grip on the ball, et cetera. I'm fine with that. Whatever. If a team wants to do that, fine. Like, management's making a decision. It's not our decision to make. The other point I have already forgot that I was going to make, Ralph. What were you <laughs> just saying? What were you just saying? Uh, uh, what, was, what were we talking about? It's we're that late that you forgot. You forgot yeah, what we're talking about. We're talking about the humidor. I had mentioned that 20, 25%, 25% oh, two is points. a lot. Ah, 25%. It's a lot. But that's because you're looking at it in the aggregate. You're looking at it as a whole. And this goes back to my point about Goldie. Look at Goldie as Goldie. Look at Goldie's home runs. And then take the distance off based on what other Na- whatever Nathan says. If it's 6 feet, if it's 7 feet, if it's 30 feet, if it's 2 feet. Whatever percent you think that ball is going to fly less because of the humidor. Then give me Goldie's home run total. If you want to blanket it as 25%, sure. But I just think it's too cookie cutter to take that and go to each hitter. It's like, do we really think that, like, who uh, is Alex Avila, right? He's their catcher now or something like that. Did he get, yeah. just get signed or something? He you did. think Alex Avila is going to be affected as much as, like, Goldschmidt or, like, David Peralta versus, like, Chris Owings? Like, they're different hitters. Yeah. Like, that's the thing to me. Like, I just don't like the here's 25%. Knock it off, haircut. We're haircutting everyone's home runs by twenty five. Yeah, exactly. Samurai exactly. run around that's, with swords, cutting yeah, freaking home run totals. Exactly. I like that's all people were doing yesterday on Twitter, and I was like, oh. And, and a lot of them were like really get res- it, but respectable, respectable guys in like fantasy baseball and you know the projection world. And I'm like, calm down, please. It, it's like you Nathan know? had a really good piece on this a while ago, and like I get it's, you could take his percent and cite him, but. I, he, I don't think Nathan would abide by this. Nathan wouldn't no. be like, just take six home runs away from Goldschmidt. If all Goldschmidt's home runs are 435 feet, you could take 20 freaking feet off each of those home runs, and he'd still have X amount of home runs. That yeah. wouldn't change. 
you know, that's the thing. It's just not scientific, you know, like you have to like I, I come from the approach of like you wait and you witness it, and you see it and then you look at the information. And, you know, if you wanted to knock a homer or two off, fine. But like sure. some of it was like significant. I mean, it, like there was one where I saw like, you know, A.J. Pollock has hit like nine homers now. I'm like, what? It's like, no, <laughs> there's no universe in which that happens to me. Ah. Yeah, I don't know. We anyway, should, we should end every show. Yeah, we got we to gotta end every show from now on with like a hot take. Just come up with a hot take and spew it. The human or hot take. take. Human or hot take. We got to call it that. All right, everybody, we're going to let you go. I couldn't make my pick because we're freezing up on fan tracks here, but I, I'm still debating in my head Mitch Killer, Mitch Hanniger. We will, we will recap that, I'm sure, at some point. Been a fun draft with the guys over there. Been a fun podcast with Ralph, as always. I am on Twitter, at Lance Brazo. I just posted a column. I talked to Jim Sykowski, who is the Vancouver Canadiens pitching coach um, for the Toronto Blue Jays, about Nate Pearson, who's a guy who I, I know has got a ton of helium recently. And really fun talking to him. I encourage you to check out that column. I have a column every Monday at Razzball. That'll be kind of sandbox freeform. Someone in the Slack channel for Raz30 was saying they want more deep dives in the players. So I was thinking of kind of going on that theme and just doing yeah, like do a thousand it. words on, on one player and just only mentioning that player and going forward. So I think that'll be fun to do because we haven't seen that in a while on Razzball. Ralph, tell the people what you're doing. Yeah, so I'm just working on my prospect uh, list, going through all 30 teams. I'm a little bit more than halfway through now. We have the Minnesota Twins coming out on Sunday, so it's the next day after this podcast drops. Go check that out. It's a fun system. I got to tell you, that's one of my favorite top tens. We're going to have a blast when we go through that. We're going to have Wilson uh, Caraman on next week uh, for the Dodgers podcast. Oh, yeah. He scouts Rancho Cucamonga out there in California. He's a local Massachusetts guy, so we're going to have some laughs. He's about my age, so we're going to have some laughs with some Boston accent impressions and stuff we do a lot of that to each other on twitter playing a few leagues together so that should be a lot of fun uh you can find me prospect jesus on twitter and of course i'm doing all these uh player profiles my deep dives are uh on fan track awesome. video on the uh baseball show been doing that weekly and uh we have a episode with michael florio that came out yesterday so uh really interesting stuff all right everybody we're gonna let you go uh everyone enjoy their weekend i don't know what's going on this weekend uh college baseball starts today or yesterday technically we're recording thursday but it starts tomorrow friday big weekend series so you get your first looks at brady singer and some other guys so if you're if you're looking into first player drafts for the following season uh get going on it uh enjoy your weekend take care White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read 
read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. 